Welcome to the Bare Naked ABCs, where we review the Bare Naked Lady songs alphabetically from 7 to Y, one at a time, pushing through them all no matter how much damage we cause in the process. I am Tracy, and I am joined by... Michelle. And Aaron. And this week, I'm a kid in a candy store, because we discuss one of the few songs named after the early line in the verse of the song, and not a line that's in the chorus. I'm a bull in a china shop I'm a tired old metaphor For everything you can afford And everything you We're talking, of course, of Bull in a China Shop, which was on Bare Naked Ladies Are Me, 2006. It's a Stephen Page song. It was first performed by Stephen Solo in December of 2003. It's been played 21 times, according to setlist.fm. And I don't have a lot more facts about this song. It's it's uh, hard to one to pull facts up about. They don't talk about it much. So why don't we get right into it? <clears throat> Aaron, would you like to give us your breakdown? Sure thing, Tracy. <laughs> All right, Bull in a China Shop. Uh, the song clocks in at about 150 beats per minute. It seems, it seems like it rushes and drags very, very little. Um, there's no metronome or click track here. Uh, Tyler keeps it very steady at almost exactly 150 BPM throughout the track, though, which is very impressive. <clears throat> You'll have to excuse me. I'm getting over a cold. <coughs> you can probably edit out that cough. <laughs> nope. Nope, can't do it. Just got to keep that in for the listening pleasure of the viewers. Uh, I think, sorry, I couldn't, re- couldn't reach the mute button in time. Anyways, um, Bull in a China Shop is written in the key of G major. The verse chord progression is 1, 4, 2, 5 at first, but then it switches to 1, 6, 4, 5. Creates a little variation, which I find quite satisfying. Uh, the chord progression in the chorus is 1, 5, 6, 4, turning it around. Now, these are hardly groundbreaking chord progressions or outside the norm for pop rock, but if you compare this to some of the more contemporary material we've discussed recently, you'll notice a lot more variation and change. Um, Based on what I have heard thus far in our exploration here, I have to believe this is Stephen's influence. He seems to value motion and the feeling of movement or progression, which is something I also like, certainly in my pop music. I can listen to Philip Glass and appreciate his work uh, for the conservation of change, but when I hear a pop rock tune, I'm not exactly looking for that kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> so the song form starts off with the intro, which I believe uses the B chords. Um, very short intro, and then we got verse one, verse two, then chorus, uh, where uh, I can't hear a thing because I've stopped listening. Great line. Uh, <laughs> verse three. Back to the A form, then the chorus B form two times, then the bridge, which has this very ska-like feel to it. It was very like Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. Uh, interesting, mm. very different. I like it. It's one of those classic Stephen you know, bridges where it's just, it's, it just kind of throws things in, in a different light. Uh, and then back to the verse, and then back to the chorus. So skipping the intro, it's A A B A B C A B. Classic pop rock stru- song structure. And well executed at that. So it's it's interesting. It's like a very yeah. It's a it's just strong pop rock. Yeah. 
So it's it's them not like branching out and doing anything kind of weird or different or eclectic this time, but it, they hit it really strong with this song. This is the Five Guys Burgers and Fries of the pop rock world. They do one thing and they do it well. <laughs> I agree. So what do you think, Michelle? I like this song. You know, this album is sort of historically when I kind of Stephen was leaving the band and I was leaving the band as well. You know what I mean? Like things were kind of on their way out. But this song is great. Um, I don't have as much of a tie to this album is my point. Um, but this song I think is great <laughs> just because of the line, I can't hear a thing because I've stopped listening. Like you don't expect the first time he says yeah. that, you don't expect that to be the lyric. And then it's like, because I've stopped listening. Like he just... I just feel like it's the perfect um, self-expression from Steven. It just kind of, mm-hmm. I feel like it's him going through his own inventory. Like, this is, I'm a kid in a candy store, I'm a bull in a china shop, I'm a tired old metaphor. Like, I feel like he was in a place when he wrote this of like, all right, it's it's all been done, and <laughs> things, something needs to happen, and something certainly did happen. And of course, I'm reading into it the way I want to, but um, I just love it. And to me, my favorite part of the song is actually the horns. Um, yeah. That sound, it just brings back Penny Lane, and that's my favorite part of Penny oh, Lane. Is yes. the, I guess it's a piccolo trumpet, I'm not sure. Um, I think that's the instrument, but it just, it's a gorgeous song, and I really like it. It is. And I like the, the, that line that you were saying um, about the, the, I'm at the very beginning. I'm a kid in a candy store. I'm a bull in a china shop. And so, like a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about these metaphors that that Ed was using in um, in the song, uh, bringing it home. We were talking about that and how he's using these metaphors, but he's not really doing a lot with it. Yes. This one, Stephen follows that up with, "I'm a tired, tired old metaphor for everything I can't afford." Like, boom, right there. Like, okay, I'm gonna acknowledge I'm using these tired old metaphors too. That's the whole point of what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Right. It, it, it's very meta in a way. It, yeah. There's some uh-huh. great wordplay here. Starts off with two cliches, and then immediately deflates it by saying, "I'm a tired old metaphor." And while I could see myself arguing. This is lazy lampshading in a certain context. In this case, it seems to be exactly the point. <clears throat> yes. And that comes into play when you look at the rest of the lyrics throughout the song. It becomes quite clear. <clears throat> well, and the fact that he even names the song that metaphor, like he, he's going for it. He's like, I'm yeah. not going to lay back on it. I'm just going to like lean into this. Exactly. But it's it's a because it is the oddest name to give this song. It's it is. But it's really great to listen to. Like, it's really enjoyable to listen to, I think. Agreed. And you can go with it as deeply or as not as you want. It's one of those great songs where you can just listen and it's great and you can get your stuff done or you can listen and it's great and you can listen to the lyrics and really dig in like you can take it as deep or as shallow as you want and it's still going to be good i think my favorite exactly. i think my favorite lyric is i'm a bottle of diet poison <laughs> <laughs> yes that's and it, like that's the thing and using these metaphors throughout the song he is there's no part of this song that isn't talking about isn't alluding to 
the whole point of the song, which is this is a person who destroys everything in their life and the relationship is crumbling, which we get with the last verse that he's got in there. But you don't get that until the last verse that this is about a relationship that's crumbling. You just get that this is a guy who's who's destroying everything in their life. And you get to that last verse and you're like, wow, this is actually about a relationship. That's actually kind of neat. But all the lyrics of the song come back to this one exact same thing. These metaphors keep describing how he destroys his life. Yeah, Which it's... is pretty pretty much what was going on at the time. <laughs> you know, things were starting to crumble. I, think... it's, I mean, if you listen to the music from day one to the present, it's... I mean, maybe it's a little not as autobiographical as I think it is, but it's pretty autobiographical. It it's all it right there. Um, oh, yeah, think, at times it is. And I think any of us who are Gen X kind of express ourselves that way. That's the only way we have, you know, all the latchkey kids and all the, you know, nobody paid attention to us. So we have to express <laughs> ourselves somehow. So we do it through our art or our music or our writing or whatever. And it's all this. This is all. Well, all I, I know I'm a dirty millennial, but as a middle child, I empathize. <laughs> You're an honorary. You're an honorary, <laughs> honorary Xer. I'm like X. I'm almost. I was almost at the cutoff. I'm. A, I'm a very early millennial, uh, not you, quite a late Gen Xer. You're kind of the best of both worlds because <laughs> Aww, you have you on. have the sensibility <laughs> of a Gen X person, but you have the technical savvy of a millennial. So, mm-hmm. right, good for you. Well, thank you. <laughs> I, that's a very nice compliment. I appreciate that, Michelle. Uh, welcome. This song is one of the happiest songs about self-loathing that I have ever heard. <laughs> and it appeals to me greatly. <laughs> Take from that what you will. Uh, there seem to be Yes, two- that juxtaposition again. Yeah. It's him saying all this like bad mean stuff about himself with a happy tone. Yeah, it's kind of the anti-Pink Floyd um, where they had like <laughs> depressing sounding music with like lovely lyrics and then he he's making lovely sounding music with depressing lyrics. Um, yes. or, or they are, I should say. I, not not that it's all Stephen. I can hear his influence in this, is why I want to say that. But I, I'm sure. Yes. I'm sure this was a group effort, like all their stuff. Um, but yeah, I, there are like two aspects of the self-loathing here, and, and one is the sense of shallowness or commercialism, and the concern about becoming a sellout, which is giving me little uh, flashbacks to box set. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, the other thing is someone who behaves badly or acts out, and is aware of this but feels powerless to stop it. And I believe, I don't want to speak out of turn here, but I believe Stephen Page has come out as saying he has bipolar disorder, so that would track. Yes. <clears throat> and, and this is a running theme again with him as well, like you had said with Boxset, but also with Alternative Girlfriend, as he points out in his interview. Like that, this is something He's that self-aware. he likes to keep coming back to. He's very self-aware. You know, he, he, yes. I don't think anyone could accuse Stephen Page of not knowing himself. Mm-mm. Definitely not. He doesn't necessarily like everything that he sees, but he's honest about what he sees, which is, I think that's why I, I keep coming back to what I like about his music is there's that emotional honesty that's so refreshing and so, um, they're so human, you know, there, there's something human about that that you can never get. And I got, I, maybe this is my Gen X side talking, but you know, in an era of everything being auto-tuned to hell and, you know, I love electronic music, but like, there's something we lose when it's completely electronic. There's something, if we smooth it out too much, if you sand down the edges too much, it's no longer human. It's something else. It's, it's an approximation. It's a, 
It's a simulacra and uh, it doesn't connect the same way. And something like this where someone is just bearing their soul, whether they're couching it in, you know, wordplay or not, um, there's just something that really kind of resonates for yeah. me at least. I have to say, my fa- so you guys said your favorite mm-hmm. lines of the song. Yeah, my, I had two. One of which was that I can't hear a thing because I've stopped listening. I I've Great always line. resonated yeah. with that line. I love that line. Uh, but the other one is the bridge. Every morning since I was born, it's harder to look in the mirror and see my face through the horns. Like that yeah, is so poetic, great. but such a great way to just say, like, I just keep seeing more and more of the evil in me every single time. Right. Well, the thing is, like, you can you can wave that away as he's talking about bull horns, but clearly I thought of devil horns immediately or demon horns. You know, like it, he's demonizing himself because of his behavior. Right. And, that, and that's. Again, that's the so, that's how I've always read so it. emotionally And the choices honest. that he makes. Yeah, that's great. You know, it's, that's it's not great that he feels that way, but it's great that he's <laughs> willing to say that and, and put it into something beautiful, into art. Yeah. So I don't have a lot more to add about this song, you guys. No, no. I think actually, I've said about all I want to care to say about it. Yeah, yeah. I. It's it's amazing that this is so short, but I. I like this song, and there's just not a lot to say about it because <laughs> I like it so much. Like musically and lyrically, it's right where I kind of want this band to be. Um, they, it's just they hit it on all fronts, and it just sounds wonderful. So why don't we get to our ratings? That sounds great. What so we we're gonna. It? I I was very self-centered in the ratings. Um, okay. We're gonna give it. How many piccolo trumpets are we gonna Ooh, give this piccolo song? Trumpets. Um, and I'm going to start, I give it a four. It's a solid four. I almost gave it a higher score, but I just feel like four, four is where it's at. <laughs> Aaron is doing the happy dance over yes. on the camera. You cannot see this, but I wish we were recording this. I wish this. we were recording it. Aaron, what do you give this song? Well, How many I'm piccolo s- trumpets do you give this? I'm so happy, Michelle, because once again, you are not, you and I are in complete sync. Um, I think this is a great example of B&L style songwriting and expressive execution. Uh, my only reservation about giving it an even four was that I gave A a four, but I know very shortly we're going to have an opportunity to adjust a few scores in retrospect, so I'm not going to let that stop me. It's a great song. I can definitely see myself seeking it out to listen to, so I'm giving it a solid four piccolo trumpets. Excellent. Nice. Tracy, how many piccolo trumpets do you <laughs> give this song? So I'm going to give this a piccolo trumpet and a, and a flute. Or no, I'm going to give it four piccolo trumpets and a flute. <laughs> uh, so, so for me, that's a 4.25. Okay. Wow, you don't okay. value flutes very highly, do you? I don't, I don't value <laughs> flutes very highly. <laughs> no, I, I really love this song. Um, it's hard to compare it to other songs that we've gone over in the past. Um, but and, and I'm going to be fixing one or two of my scores as well. But... I have to get this in, in in the higher fours rather than just even four for me. Nice. Well, that as it stands now, before we alter our previous scores, um, this puts Bull in a China Shop right smack dab between Back and Bank Job. Nice spot. Yes, yeah, that's, 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 that's a good it's spot up there. for. It. Yes. In the top 20, for sure. So really quickly, appearances. Um, I'm going to be posting a, a link for the Bull in a China Shop version from the Ships and Dips 3 tour in January of 2008, just before Steven left the band. 
Um, there's a really great clip of them playing this live on Ships and Dips 3. And just for a fact, to kind of throw the facts out there to build off from the more recent facts we've had, talking about early B&L, um, Ed and Steve, when they were, pra- when they were doing the uh, Second Harvest Food Bank benefit, uh, which was their first gig, they would get to the chorus and they wouldn't know what the chorus of the song was or how to play it, whatever song they just happened to be pulling out of their backside. And so they, they would improvise it. And then the next time around that they came back to the chorus, they would continue with the made up chorus and harmonize on it immediately. <laughs> and they just knew it was magic. And so after this first gig, Tony Kenny of the Razorbacks, who was a celebrity judge at the event, was asked them to actually open for them the following week. And so it just kind of built from there. They started just opening for these other bands, such as such as the Razorbacks. Um, and then Corky and the Juice Pigs, because I mentioned before the, how Corky and the Juice Pigs were important to this band. It, I said I would come back to it. So this is me coming back to Corky and the Juice Pigs. Ed brought Steve to see Corky and the Juice Pigs. And Steven's statement was, we just died because we were laughing so hard at them. They kept going to see them. And then they gave them a copy of Buck Naked, which they recorded in Ed's basement in, 2000, in, eight, in, 2000, in 1989. And then Sean Cullen really enjoyed it and asked them to tour with them on some of the dates in 1989. So we'll, we'll be building off from that later. And this is also the tour that they later wrote Hello City about. Mm. Nice. All right. And so I want to plug really quickly some of the stories I'm going to be pulling out for the next couple of weeks um, is from Public Stunts and Private Stories, the Bare Naked Ladies biography. I want to say it's by Lemieux. I could be wrong. It might be Paul Myers um, because I've read two of the, the books on it. So... When you get a chance to go out, it, both of those books are filled with some amazing stories about the history of the Bare Naked Ladies. Okay. Interesting. All right. So, hey, Aaron. Oh, Aaron? Aaron? Michelle? Yes? Okay, Aaron, you see how that works? I call, <laughs> she answers. Uh, is this uh, a... <laughs> would this be a... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. An allusion <laughs> to an upcoming song by any chance. I, I think so. It's, <laughs> it's me alluding to next week's song, Call and Answer. Oh, wow. <laughs> A really bad one. That was, but... that was, yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so have a great week, and thanks. That was fun. Thanks a lot, guys. Bye, everybody. See you next week. Thanks, that was fun. Don't forget, no regrets. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. 
and why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.